The seven-day festival of unleavened bread was given to Israel so that they would remember their deliverance from the clutches of Egypt. That same festival is now given to the church of God under Jesus Christ so that we will remember our deliverance from the clutches of sin and futility. Just as Israel was commanded by God to come out of Egypt, you and I are told to come out of a way of thinking and acting that has no positive future. Because sin separates you from God and cuts you off from eating of the tree of life. Let's take a few minutes to review some scriptures on coming out of Egypt, coming out of sin. Go to Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 28. Speaking here of Moses and his decision to make that big change, we read, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Well, here we have a picture in the life of Moses of leaving behind temporary pleasures for a permanent and everlasting reward, a reward with a positive future. Go now to Revelation 11, verse 8, and we'll see that this symbolism of Egypt as dwelling in sin is elsewhere in Scripture. Speaking here of the time of the end, we see this same figure of speech used It says, Now when they, that being the two witnesses, had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of that great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So here we see again this imagery of Egypt as a way of living, a way of thinking, a city, a culture, a society that pictures sin. The idea of a humanly devised society that's built up as an alternative to God's society endures and persists. It is alive and well in our day and will carry through to the very end when Christ returns. And the scriptures that we just read here speak of the God-hating society of the end, which put to death the witnesses that God has sent to them as having the same spirit as Egypt and Sodom. God's command to us is to come out of the sinful society all around us. And that calling is as real in our time as it was in the past. So we can draw lessons and warnings from the biblical record that we have, which was given to those commanded to come out of Egypt and Sodom. Our understanding of Israel's experience in Egypt includes the element of slavery, which to me conjures up the notion of being trapped, having no way out. 
Go to John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus uses this same imagery here and says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, the word translated slavery here is a Greek word, doulos. The word can mean one who is in bondage as a slave against their will, like someone who's captured in war. But in Jesus' time, it was also often used to describe one who consciously offered themselves up to serve another as a slave or a bond servant. We see in this both aspects of the sin that surrounds us and engulfs us. We are, of course, born into a society that is not of God, and it infects us, it, it distracts us, it gives us problems, it harasses us. It's an anti-God society. Yet at the same time, we individually choose to follow the way of sin as well. All of us have in some form chosen to give ourselves over to serve lust, greed, anger, and the like. But all of these may feel good initially, but they prove to be a hard taskmaster. Not only do such things enslave, they punish. They bring sorrow, regret, anguish, loneliness, physical injury, sickness, anxiety, frustration, and hopelessness. Now we escape that servitude by choosing to give ourselves over to serve a different master, a righteous master, seeking the righteousness and the goodness of God. The righteousness of God, well, we learn about that through living his word. Go to Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So once we have begun to change our lives and tasted the goodness of God's righteousness, don't look back. And that's a message that we see over and over again. Never turn back. Now we must do our part. If we think back to the Exodus God had to tell Israel, rise up and leave this place, Egypt. He didn't whisk them away on a magic cloud and carry them over to the promised land. No, they had to walk out on their own two feet. And in like manner, we too must make up our mind and we must decide to walk out the door. And through Christ, God makes it possible but he expects us to do our part. The Feast of Unleavened Bread pictures the part that we play in God's plan of salvation. We must rise up and of our own free will walk through that door, the door which is Christ. And we must leave behind the sin that so easily ensnares us. And we must never turn back. Go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 15. Speaking here of the initial instructions for this day of unleavened bread, we read, For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast, and on the first day remove the yeast from your houses. 
For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Now drop down to verse 19. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses, and anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Anyone who refused to put leaven out of their homes, or who ate leavened bread instead of unleavened bread, well, they were going to be kicked out. They would have no part in God's chosen people and his holy nation of Israel, which he was leading out of the bondage of sin, which was Egypt. This same message is part of the New Testament gospel. Go to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 10. Speaking here of our need to come out of sin, to put it behind us so that we might have part in that promised land. But the promised land, of course, here now being the kingdom of God. Paul writes this, starting in verse 9. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That washing, that setting apart, that cleansing, of course, is what we picture at the Passover, which immediately precedes the days of unleavened bread. But the days of unleavened bread are all about dealing with the rest of all that stuff, which has the potential to keep us out of the kingdom of God. God will not allow anyone who does not repent and forsake sin any part in the kingdom of God, just as anyone who refused to eat unleavened bread and put leavening out of their homes would not have a part in the chosen people of Israel who were being led out of Egypt. But you have been washed, sanctified, and now during the days of unleavened bread, are reminded that you must make every effort to stay that way. And effort is required, because sin wants you back. Just as Egypt is a picture of sin, I think we could say that Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. He wants you to serve him, and he doesn't want to let you go. Turn to Exodus chapter 14, verses 5-8. through 8. Now, this is speaking of a time after Israel had begun its uh, journey out of Egypt, and the Pharaoh has some second thoughts. They've, they've walked away from him, and he wants them back. It says in verse 5, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. We've lost all that slave labor. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out 
boldly. Here we have the picture of Pharaoh who pursues Israel even after they have left. And in the same way, baptized Christians like you or me will almost always be pursued by Satan, just as Pharaoh chased after Israel. Recently, I got a promotional mailing from one of the local phone companies, and it said, we're sorry to see you go. And of course, they followed up with all kinds of great offers, and they say, we want you back. And they make all kinds of promises in order to get me to change my mind and take them up on their special offer. You could think of Satan's temptations in the same way, and the doubt that he casts upon the expectation and the uh, hope that we have. Consider yourself getting a promotional piece from Satan, and it says, well, this, this, this Yahweh and his son Jesus, well, everything they offer you is someday. It's off in the future, or when I come back. Well, what good is that to you? When I can offer you pleasure right now. I can have your little dopamine receptors firing like little maniacs. If you just come back through the door, take me up on my special offer today, and I'll throw in six bottles of sex, drugs, self-satisfaction, and indulgence. You're gonna love it. Say yes today and walk back through that door. Caution, effects are temporary. Side effects include loneliness, regret, fear, and permanent death. Take Satan up on that offer, turn back, and you'll have given up something that's lasting and eternal for something that only lasts a few short years. Well, let's return to the cautionary tale that is Israel. Go to Numbers chapter 11, and we'll read verses 4 through 5. This is an interesting excerpt from the journeys of Israel after they had been redeemed and brought out of Egypt. They had been fed with manna, and they were getting bored. They were getting bored of the life that God had put before them. Starting in verse 4, we read this. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, Oh, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. But what God had offered them wasn't good enough. They wanted the spiciness of the life that they had left behind. God was not pleased with this attitude, and they were punished. Turn to Numbers chapter 14, and we'll read verses 1 through 4. Now this is a sequence that takes place after the spies have come back from checking out the promised land, and most of the spies come back with a report that says, well, this is too scary, this is too hard, let's not do it. And the people begin to turn on God turn on Moses and say, why have you brought us into this scenario where there's hardship ahead? Let's turn back. Read with me in uh, Numbers 14, uh, verses 1 through 4. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness... Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, 
we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So here we see two examples from the time when Israel is in the wilderness. God has brought them out of Egypt and they start thinking about going back because they're afraid or because they want the spicy pleasures that they left behind. You and I are warned not to look back. Go to Luke chapter 17, verses 28 through 33. Jesus is here speaking about the the coming kingdom. And he says this about the days of the end. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down and get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Jesus is telling us that this admonition, this warning to not look back, carries through until the very, very end when he returns. Go now to Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. This is the account we have of Lot coming out of Sodom, which we've referred to a couple of times already. But here it is. Reading in uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house, and he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. So I think that's a clue there that this is a sequence of events that is probably happening during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Otherwise, why mention the unleavened bread that Lot prepared for them? Why would he go out of his way to make unleavened bread? And why would it be mentioned in the scripture if that were not the case? Now drop down to verses 12 through 13. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you. Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot was warned, his family was warned to leave Sodom, which is also a type and a picture of sin, just like Egypt. Verse 14 So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters, and he said, Hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought that he was joking. As is always the case, God's warning sometimes falls on deaf ears. People don't take it seriously. They don't listen, they don't heed the warning, and, and they get swept up in the destruction of sin. Go to verse 15 through 17. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, 
or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives and don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. Drop down to verse 26. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. The lesson for us here is, don't look back. And whoever wants to go back, and whoever longs to hold on to the pleasures of sin, will perish. Let's end this feast of unleavened bread, resolved to leave and utterly forsake sin, Sodom, Egypt, Babylon, and never look back. Turn to Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. Speaking here to the church, Peter's writing about people who look back, who have that attitude of longing for what they have left behind. Starting in verse 20, we read this. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it, and are overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than to have known it, and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true, a dog returns to its vomit, and... A sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Go to Luke 9, verse 62. Jesus speaking here of the cost of being a disciple, the price that we must pay, the important decision that we're making and must weigh the trials and tribulations that we will have against the reward to come, says this, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Think this through. Say God gave you eternal life, and then you began to look back fondly, longingly, at the ways of the world that you came out of, perhaps even wanting to revive some of the pleasures. God simply cannot and will not allow that in his kingdom. If you and I do not develop the spiritual character now to leave it all behind and to not look back, then you and I will not be fit for service in the kingdom of God. Final scripture. Go to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, and eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things that you should teach encourage and rebuke with all authority, and do not let anyone despise you. 
And so God's message to you and to me is the same today as it was back then. Go forth, come out of sin, and don't look 